The Christmas story brings to mind images of shepherds and wise men, a nativity scene, and a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. And that's all true and endearing. And there are many lessons we can draw from that. But the Christmas story did not begin 2,000 years ago in a sleepy town of Bethlehem. It didn't even begin with an angelic visitation in Galilee. It began in heaven itself before time began. As John says, in the beginning. So this story has a beginning, but he himself has no beginning. He always was and always will be. Jesus pre-existed with the Father. Did you ever think about this? Long before the universe was formed, before there was a heaven or a heavenly host, before there was even space or time, there was nothing except the triune God. There was nothing except our God. And in the Weist translation of John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, and the word was in fellowship with God the Father. Wow. We sometimes struggle to have fellowship with one another. They had perfect fellowship. That means, think about it. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Spirit is a spirit of love. And they love being with each other. Yet it's one God manifested in three persons. The expanded translation says, the word was in the presence of, in intimate relationship with God the Father. See, the Father and the Son worked together in perfect harmony. Here in the first chapter of John, in verse 3, it says, all things were made through Him, meaning through the word through Jesus. You ever read in the book of Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 where God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Who is us? Who is our? Us is not one person, it's more than one. Who is he talking to? He cannot be talking to the angels because men are not created in the image of angels. The Son was with the Father in the beginning. And apart from the Son, God created nothing. Are you out there today? Notice verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is probably the most profound statement in all of Scripture. And the Word 
was made flesh and dwelt among us. God became a man. The creator joined his creation. The playwright joined the cast and took his place on stage. He who lived in the realm of timeless eternity stepped into human history. It's amazing. The Message Bible says this, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. How many of you are still here today? Some of you look like a photograph. Breathe, you know, smile, move your head around, you know, just relax, okay? I said, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Woo. Now, um, I have a home, not only here in Nagaland, but I have a home in America. And so my wife and I, my kids are there now. And my wife and I go back, you know, every summer. That's part of my longevity strategy. That's why I've been able to live here for 30 years. It helps me keep things in balance, maintain my sanity, all sorts of things like that. And the thing about it is the, the people in our neighborhood in America, I didn't say Dimapur, in America, the people in our neighborhood are generally friendly people. It's kind of funny. As, as we pass one another on the street, we wave at each other. It's just a real common thing. You know, whether in your car or, or walking, you see someone in the neighborhood, hey, and they're like, hey. Even though we're not even exactly sure who that person is, we still wave, hey, yeah, yeah, hey. And uh, in, our, in our neighborhood, uh, during holidays, they often organize little, little impromptu, well, it's not impromptu, they planned it, but little parties on certain streets. So like uh, in America, 4th of July is Independence Day. So we were there and they had right, right in our, on our, our street, they had a little party with fireworks and food. And, and so I walked on over there. I don't know the name, except for maybe two people, I don't know the name of anybody there. And I don't think they know me, but they right away welcomed me. Hey, yeah. And one guy said, you want a beer? <laughs> you know, it wasn't a church meeting, it was a, it was a and I said, I said no, and they went, really? They, they were astonished, are you sure? And I said, yeah, I don't drink, and they were like. <laughs> and the funny thing is that in our neighborhood, when I talk with the neighbors, we tend to identify ourselves by our house. Hey, how you doing? And I say, I'm the white house on Buttermilk Court. Oh, right, right, I'm the red brick house on Rex Lane. Oh, right, 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 right. Now, outside of the neighborhood, it's a different story. Generally speaking, we do not wave to others outside the neighborhood. Just driving down the road and see somebody and wave. They might look at you funny. Or they might give you a rude gesture. You know, you don't know what they might do. Years ago, me and Jeppy were in our beloved Dimapur, and we were driving down, a, driving down the road. I was driving. And it was over near uh, Newton Basti on the main road. And there was a tall, lean woman walking on the sidewalk. And I leaned out of the vehicle and waved at her, hey. And Jeppy said to me, what are you doing? And I said, isn't that Sister Zama Zama? And she said, no. <laughs> 
And I noticed that lady just looked at me funny. Everybody around looked at me funny, so I just started waving at everybody then. Like, hey, 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 you know, just to get out of trouble, you know. It's kind of like the time, I'm going to get, I'm going to get off my notes, but it's like the time, I think it was around Easter, and, um, and there was a group of women in the foyer, and they were all huddled together talking as women do. And I saw one woman, and I, I thought it was Jeppy. She had her back turned to me. And so I walked up behind her and I put my arms around her and hugged her. And when she turned, I went, glory. It wasn't Jeppy. And then all the women in the little group looked at me. So I had to hug each one of them, you know, to kind of love you too, love you too, sister. Love you with the love of the Lord, sister, you know. And I looked at Jeppy and I thought, okay, I'm going to sleep on the floor tonight. It turns out I gave Jeppy a dress, and Jeppy gave that dress to that woman, and that's why I thought it was her. See, we men aren't paying very close attention. I want to make sure I don't go home with the wrong woman today. Okay, she's over there. Outside of the neighborhood, it's a different story, you know, and on the highway, you know, it's like you're a Formula One racer. And you're in competition with every other driver. You know, and, 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 and Jeppy finds that some of her best prayer times are while she's a passenger in the car because she, she's praying, Lord, have mercy on all of us. Give us one more day, please. I want to live today. I don't want to die today, Lord. And um, so here's the thing. Christmas is when God moved into the neighborhood. He was no longer a mystery on a mountaintop or concealed behind a veil in the temple. He came down to our level where he could be seen and touched. And it's interesting, like my neighbors, he was known by his address, Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, yeah, I've heard of Nazareth. Hallelujah. Amen. And he identified with humanity. He experienced life just like us. So the Christmas story is not so much about a baby being born as it is about a son leaving home. Let me say that again. The Christmas story is not really about a baby being born. It's about a son leaving home. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, it says he was in the form of God, the word form, F-O-R-M, in that verse, it doesn't mean what you might think it means. It, it doesn't mean what we, the way we often use the word. It doesn't mean to be similar, but not quite. He has a form of insanity. Like, it's not real insanity, but it's like that. That's not what the word means. It doesn't mean, like, uh, to appear to be something other than what you really are. That's not what the word means. In this context, the word means Status, place, position. See, he even tells us that Jesus had equality 
with God the Father. They were on the same footing. They had the same status. The Amplified Bible, the classic version of the Amplified Bible says that he was possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God, God. And he willingly let go of that. You know, most people that we know, if they somehow get promoted to a place, like on the job or whatever, they will never let go of that. They will fight come hell or high water to hold on to that. But he had the highest position in the universe, and he willingly let go of it. Now, in December... 1936, some of you, including myself, were not here then. But in December 1936, Great Britain experienced one of its greatest controversies. It shook that empire to its foundations. King Edward VIII abdicated. He voluntarily stepped down from the throne of England, which, I mean, how often has that happened? And he did it because of a woman. Got to watch those women. He did it because of a woman. And a woman who was an unlikely candidate for his affections. Mrs. Wallace Simpson was a woman twice divorced from another country. She is from America, my country. From Baltimore, I've been to Baltimore. Pfft, nothing good came out of Baltimore. I'll try, trust me on that one. She, and uh, she had a questionable reputation. I don't know. There was some things going on. And I don't mean to be unkind, of course she passed away, but she was not what most people would consider to be especially attractive. I mean, she wasn't ugly, but she wasn't a stunner either. She looked like, um, well, never mind. I won't go there. And, um, <laughs> but Edward completely relinquished his title, his royal title, because he loved her. And he must have loved her because they were married and he spent the rest of her life with her. Now, that's a very, you know, inadequate comparison. In fact, I'm sure a lot of folks from the UK would really not appreciate, you know, the, 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 the similarity. But in one sense, what Edward did is what Jesus did. He willingly stepped down from his place on high for love and an unlikely candidate not for a pure and loving people but for the sinful people of this world why so he could spend eternity together with us that's what he did hallelujah amen are you out there today and notice in again philippians chapter 2 verse 7 Verse 7 says, but he emptied himself. 
Some other translations will help us. The Living Bible, which is a paraphrase, but it's good here. The Living Bible says, but laid aside his mighty power and glory. The Message Bible says, but set aside the privileges of deity. The Passion Translation, he emptied himself of his outward glory. This is what he did in heaven before he came into this world. Now, when people go on a long trip, usually they pack a suitcase, right? So again, I'll use myself as an example. You don't want me to use you as an example. So I'll use myself as an example. So, um, you know, every summer, my wife and I, we buy things that we're going to need here in India, in Nagaland, right? Uh, and, and especially for myself, because uh, there are no clothes in India that fit me, for obvious reasons. <laughs> Even when it's supposed to be my size, it's not cut, it's cut for an Indian body, not for an American body. And, and, you know, and so if you're thinking about buying me clothes for Christmas, pray about it, you know, it probably won't fit me. So, so whatever I wear, it, it came from there. I, had, I, have to bring it, I have to bring it with me, right? You know, and, uh, and of course, there's some things, obviously, I don't need to bring. We have them already, right? So years ago, my mother sent me a package. Uh, but the, the post office wants to charge me like, a, uh, you know, like a, 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 a customs charge on the package. And I said, what's in the package? He said, you'll have to pay the custom charge, and then you can find out. I said, I'm not going to do that. Show me what's inside, and then I'll let you know whether I want to pay for it. He said, nope, doesn't work that way. So I sent it back to America. And I went back to America myself, and about you know, one month later, that same package came back and opened it up, and it was cornflakes and Colgate. <laughs> I said, Mom, we have cornflakes and Colgate in India. Did you know that? <laughs> any rate, so if you're going to give me something for Christmas, don't give me uh, cornflakes and Colgate. I have that already. <laughs> but Jesus did the opposite. Before he went on his journey, he unpacked. He put away the things that he did not need for the journey. He laid aside his mighty power and glory. He stripped himself. He emptied himself. He didn't stop being divine but he laid certain attributes aside. Why? He had to. If Jesus had come to earth in all of his glory, you know, in the full radiance of his presence and power, no one could even approach him. No one would be able to talk to him. No one would be able to even look at him. It would be like staring at the sun all day long. And, and if he had not laid aside his glory, Christmas would not have been a babe born in Bethlehem. It would have been the detonation of a nuclear bomb. Something that no one could even get near it. He had to do that because he met us where we were. And it goes on to say in verse 7, but taking, verse 7, 
Philippians 2, 7, but taking the form of a servant. Taking the form, and that's the same word form again, status, position, place. It's not like he pretended to be this, he was this. Taking the form of a servant. So, in the first century A.D., there were basically two classes of people in society. Just two, basically. Number one, there was the rich and the ruling elites. Number two, everybody else. You're either on the top with the few, the fortunate, or you're on the bottom with everybody else. That's all there was. And Jesus, though he left his place in the Father's presence as the unique Son of God, was not born into a family that was well-connected, affluent, influential, powerful. Mary was not the heiress to some great fortune. She was an ordinary young woman. Very ordinary, as a matter of fact. Joseph, her husband, was not a member of the nobility. He was a skilled laborer. They were blue-collar, working-class people. And it's interesting, if you think about this, if you study it, they were Jews living under the law, you see. They were, they were Orthodox Jews. And the law of Moses required that every woman who has given birth after so many days of waiting, she must go to the temple and offer a sacrifice to God, you see. And so the woman was to present a one-year-old lamb. It was actually a, it was a sin offering. However, the law also stipulated that if she could not afford a lamb, then instead she could offer a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons, just two birds. And according to Luke chapter 2, verse 24, that is what Mary and Joseph offered to God. Two birds. Which implies they could not afford a lamb. What am I saying? I'm not saying that they were impoverished because they weren't. I'm saying they were hardworking, ordinary people in the flesh. That's the family, supernaturally by the Spirit of God, that he was born into. Are you out there today? Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. He didn't, if, I mean, if I was Jesus, the unique son of God, huh? at the Father's side from eternity past, I think if I'd come to earth, I would have kind of walked around like, don't diss me. You better show some respect. Hmm? Everybody come and wait on me hand and foot. But Jesus did not strut about like a celebrity. Hmm? Posing for the paparazzi. He came to give of himself in obedience to the Father. He came unto his own. Meaning the creation itself that he had made. 
and his own did not receive him. Actually, it says his own people. He didn't come like to some foreign, strange place. These are God's covenant people, and they did not receive him. Hallelujah. And he said, I did not come to do my will, but the will of him that sent me. Oh, you'll forgive me for saying this, but here goes. In Nagaland, other places too, we use the term public servant very casually. It's real quiet in this place. He's a public servant. Oh, he's a crook. Okay, got it. I shouldn't say that. Let me say it this way, and I don't think you'll be offended. Recently, and I can say this in Naglan, I would have trouble saying this in America, but recently the son of the president of the United States complained about people investigating his father. He said, my father has given his life in public service. But the bank records show something quite different. He has enriched himself over the past several years. And if you don't know that, stop watching CNN. Anyways, but Jesus came to make us richer, not to enrich himself. Hallelujah. And if humility, if humility is taking a lower place, if humility is self-demotion, being humiliated is somebody else demoting you. Humility is self-demotion. Then the story of Christmas is one of amazing, astounding humility. Breathtaking humility and vulnerability. The stars were his handiwork. And yet he became a helpless infant in the arms of his mother. He who was dependent on no one, who needed nothing from anyone, entered this world completely dependent on everyone. Think about the trust that God the Father had in Mary. Think of the trust. I mean, what if Mary had said, uh, oh man, no one's going to believe I had a baby by the Holy Spirit. I think I'll abort this baby. We'd all be without hope. Hmm? What if she was a careless mother? You know, she just dropped the baby on its head one day. Oh, well, sorry, kid. Think how much God trusted just an ordinary woman. Thank you for your enthusiasm this uh, day before Christmas. Amen. Someone say glory to God. <laughs> and I'm not done. One of the most remarkable events in Scripture occurred when Jesus was about 12 years old. Luke tells us that he became separated from his family during a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. That, that sounds like bad parenting, but they all travel together as a group. They're, you know, they're all going to celebrate together. They're all going as a big clan and everything. So that's, that's normal for them. And his parents, you know the story, they searched frantically for three days and finally found him in the temple in Jerusalem having a conversation with the uh, experts in the law. And everybody was uh, amazed 
at his understanding. And when they found him, his mother scolded him, as mothers do. And he answered her, didn't you know that I must be engaged in my father's work? That means even at that young age, he knew who he was. He knew who he was. And he expected Mary to understand that also. And then here's an interesting thing. Luke 2.51 says this. I'm still talking about Christmas. And he went down, Luke 2.51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. He was with the Father at the dawn of creation. He heard those words, let there be light. The Bible says he upholds all things by the word of his power, and in him all things consist or, or are held together. Yet, he recognized the authority that his heavenly father had delegated to his parents, and so he submitted to them. He could have said, who on earth do you people think you are? Don't you know who I am? I could call a whole regiment of angels and wipe you out right now. But he didn't. Are you listening to me? He was submitted to them. Meanwhile, we know some Christians <clears throat> who know a couple of things from the Bible and they're not submitted to nobody. Oh, it's real quiet in this Holy Ghost church. I said, there, that's probably not you because you're here this morning. I said, we know some Christians and they know a couple of scripture verses. They've heard a few sermons. They've been around a few years and, and they, they will not submit to nobody. They will not cooperate with nobody. They're completely uncorrectable. You can't tell them anything. Here the divine son of God, out of honor to his heavenly father, he submitted to his parents. I mean, that means, you know, they probably said, Jesus, clean up your room. He could have said, clean it up yourself, woman. <laughs> and he, he did it. Jesus, fold your robe. I mean, the angels are going to fold my robe, woman. <laughs> but he submitted to them. Thank you again for your overwhelming vote of confidence this wonderful morning. One day I'm going to preach and I'm going to bring a group of people to stand behind me and they'll just be rubbing my shoulder and saying, go get him, Pastor, go get him, we're with you. In the beginning was the Word. I'm not done yet. In the beginning was the Word. It's so telling, it's so remarkable that John refers to Jesus as the Word. The Word. In fact, in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, and verse 13, the end of the Bible, John had a vision of Jesus' second coming, something that hasn't happened yet. And in the vision, he describes Jesus this way. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. 
Woo, hallelujah. Amen. And in these verses, John uses the Greek word logos. Logos. It's the word for word. Logos. From this we derive the English word logic. Jesus is the logic of God. Listen to me. Consider this. You yourself, you have thoughts. You have ideas. You have patterns or ways of thinking. You have imaginations. You have perspective. You have feelings. And all of these things are reverberating within you all day long. And as the Bible says, as a man thinks within himself, so is he. But all of those thoughts that are in you right now, and it would be scary to know what some of you are thinking right now, by the way, but all of those thoughts that are in you right now remain largely concealed. I mean, sometimes we can tell by looking at your face, but then again, people in Nagaland always have a poker face on during Sunday morning service, so it's really difficult. We don't know whether you've got a pair of aces or what you have in your hand right now. But, but all of those thoughts within you remain mostly concealed until you express them, until you speak. And when you communicate, I hope you understand this, when you communicate with others, you are not just sharing information. You are revealing a part of who you are. Always, all the time. The residue of the pipe is tasted in the water. Are you listening to me? You see, God wanted to make himself known to humanity. He spoke in the ancient times in various ways through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken in the person of his son. Jesus, listen to me, Jesus did not simply from time to time relay a message from heaven. He is the embodiment of all of God's attributes, personality, and thoughts. He is the message. God could have sent a picture. He could have sent, could have sent a video. He could have sent, you know, uh, I don't know what else, you know, audio recording. But he sent his son. And on one time, one occasion, well, let me back up. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, are you still here today? In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says that Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature, of the Father's nature. The exact imprint of the Father's nature. The word translated imprint is the Greek word charater, charater. It's where we get the English word character. But it, it doesn't mean character, it means engraved letters. Engraved letters. So hmm, when I want to type, maybe like my sermon notes on my laptop, I touch the keyboard and I, I depress certain characters, characters, on that keyboard, the, 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 the alphabetic, uh, 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 you know, the numbers, the letters. 
and my computer immediately reproduces that on the screen. See, that's the idea. And the word nature here, the exact imprint of his nature, the word nature here also means reality. Jesus is the exact reproduction, expression of the reality of God. The exact expression of the reality of God. One of the disciples said, Lord, if you would show us the Father, we'd be satisfied. That would be enough for us. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But Jesus is not the Father. They're two separate people, two separate persons, yet one God. What he meant was, you don't need to see something else. You have me. You don't need, Christian, you don't need to see a vision in the sky. You don't need to have a dream, uh, you know, in the night. God could give you those things, but you don't need that. You have Christ living in you right now. Can I get another amen? Hallelujah. Why on this day before Christmas, at this Christmas season, why was Jesus born? Notice John chapter 1 verse 18. No one has ever seen God. Wow, that's an amazing statement. No one at any time, John says, has ever seen God. They saw visions, they saw similitude, but they never actually saw God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus came to show us the Father to reveal to us his true character, his nature. This is who God is. Hallelujah. Amen. And Christ is divine. He is deity. The New King James Version of this same verse, that's again John 1.18. The New King James Version says the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And that makes sense. The only problem is the oldest and most reliable Greek manuscripts don't say that. It doesn't say son. That's the Greek word huios. It's uh, uh, huios. It's actually the word theos. The oldest manuscripts say the only God who is in the presence of the Father. He has revealed to us the Father. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Williams translation says, the word was face to face with God. Yea, the word was God himself. I just want to remind you, Jesus never claimed to be a religious leader. He was not persecuted because others thought of him as a religious leader or a good teacher. He claimed to be the divine son of God, the second person in the Trinity. One day he said to the Jews, I and the Father are one. They picked up stones to throw at him, to kill him. And they said to him, we're not stoning you for doing a good work, but because of blasphemy. This is what the Jews said. Because you, being a man, have made yourself God or are claiming 
to be God. They understood what he meant when he said, before Abraham was, I am. Are listening to me? Those religious leaders didn't realize it, but as they disputed with him, as they argued with him, as they pressed him, they were looking right into the face of God. I'll close with this. Several years ago, there was a popular television program in America called Undercover Boss. And in fact, Pastor Jeppe, that was one of her favorite programs. She used to watch it from time to time. I don't think it's still on the air. And in each episode, the head of a large business or corporation, the boss, would disguise himself as an ordinary employee. And he would work alongside others in his company, in his business, you know, way down at the, at the entry level point. And not knowing his identity, people let down their guard. And so some employees were lazy, you know, and some of them mistreated customers, not knowing who he was. But then again, other workers, you know, dis- uh, displayed great character and, and, and initiative and were hardworking and things of that nature. And then at the end of the, of the television program, the undercover boss revealed his true identity. I'm the CEO of this multinational corporation. You thought I was just, you know, a clerk or just, you know, just a gopher, you know, a peon in the office, but I'm actually the, the president of this corporation. And it was interesting that to see their expression. They were shocked. And some of them were demoted and some of them were promoted. Jesus came into this world. He was born supernaturally of a virgin. Yes, to be our savior, but also know this, he is the undercover boss. He is the undercover boss. He came and proved that a lot of people who professed devotion did not really love God. As John the Baptist said, the low places will be lifted up because of him, and the high places will be brought down low because of him. He is coming again. If he wasn't coming again, there would really be no reason for us to celebrate his first coming. And when he comes again, he has his reward with him. Will you?